We are in our series called Road Rules for Family Life from Colossians 3, verses 18 through the first verse of chapter 4. And we are seeking to learn the practical realities in the family for people who are raised and hidden in Christ. It's the theme of the first couple chapters, this theological position that we are in, uh, a practical reality of being in Christ, Christ in us. And Paul was actually addressing a false teaching that had infiltrated uh, this area uh, in Colossae. When we talked last week about how every social structure that God has created, that's talked about in this passage, uh, whether it's government or, or family or, or jobs, every, every social structure says something about God. It's a reflection somehow of something in God's character. And when we forget God in these social structures, they begin to break down. And people lose the value of the human being. They lose this image of God quality that are in human beings. And we're nothing more than, than a beast. In fact, it says in Psalm 49.20, man in his pomp yet without understanding is like the beasts that perish. In other words, any boundaries that are here for uh, human behavior, once you forget God, are really just more about self-preservation, if there are any at all. And so we, we looked last week at marriage and how marriage is to picture the love of Christ and family is to picture the, the unity and community of a triune God. Uh, and there's mutual love and, and respect and, and willingness to sacrifice for others within that social structure of the family. Uh, we saw how wives submit and love and respect their husbands, and husbands likewise submit and love and respect their wives, and that this word submit is used in every social sphere. And we are all to do it, um, and even the, the CEO of the company submits in the sense that he is, he is setting aside his own personal wants and desires and doing what is best for the company. Uh, we all participate in these kinds of activities within every social structure. So we find ourselves in verses 20 and 21. And I'm going to take a considerable amount of time with just these two verses. And the reason for that is this, is that, you know, you look across our congregation I mean, our sweet spot is basically 25 to 35-year-olds. I don't know why God has done that, and not that there aren't people that are older or younger here, but that's pretty much the, uh, the people that have uh, arrived here at Christ Community. So a lot of fam- young families, a lot of kids. So I'm going to hone in on this uh, issue of parenting today, and that's what this passage is about. So we're going to take a couple weeks. Now, if nothing else, the Bible's extremely practical, is it not? Because we're talking about parents, and one of the things that, and I know this takes all the study that I have done in, in school that I've gone to, I realize that we've all been children, all right? That's an insight that I just want to give to you. We all have had this primary relationship of, of child to parent, and so there is something that, that I think all of us can learn about this primary relationship. Now, let me start by saying this. That our goal in this thing is not perfection, okay? Uh, you might remember a couple years ago, I had all four of my kids up here, and I asked them, what's the biggest mistake I've made as a parent? And uh, we kept it only to two hours. Um, but the, 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 the point in doing that is this, is that 
all of us make mistakes as parents, all right? We're, we're not after perfection here. And, you know, let's just try to get over ourselves and think that, you know, we want to present ourselves as having it all together. None of us in here do, okay? We all got issues in all of our families that, that, that we have to deal with, including our own. And, but that doesn't mean that there can't be good health. It doesn't mean there's still not good influence. It doesn't mean that God still doesn't use us. But we have this, this sense that we're, we're afraid to be vulnerable in these areas, and especially this area of parenting. We're all very sensitive about that. So I just want to encourage us to relax a little bit, okay? Open up our hearts. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. None of us got it all together. All of us can learn something, so let's just approach it that way, okay? Let's all stand. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. God, I pray that for each and every person here that we might just be open before you, vulnerable, We take your word at face value. We thank you for its instruction. And in these primary relationships of of parent to children, I I pray that you'd just open up our hearts to some things and uh, help us to apply what needs to be applied, take the meat, throw out the bones, and Lord, uh, just to have authentic conversation with you about these things, have your word come. We need your Holy Spirit to understand and to put it into practice. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, underline that. We're talking about children. That's generally understood to be one who is young enough to be in the household who is dependent upon the parent. Now, that doesn't give an age, but you know we generally think of 18 and above is kind of adult age. That's probably fairly safe. Uh, What we are saying is that adult children are not required to obey their parents. That's just a little weird. Let's face it, all right? Uh, We are to love and respect our parents, but adult children are not required to obey our parents. This is good for all parents to remember, is it not? Because there are responsibilities and and, and expectations that change when our kids become adults, right? We have four children and going to be seven grandchildren. And there are many different stages that we have um, related to our kids. And when they became 18, 19 years old, there was a transition. And some of that is difficult. It's difficult to let go. It's difficult not to speak into their lives as an authority, but more as a coach. Because, you know, you had control of all that before. They did what you said, generally, all right? uh, But now that they are older, you got to give that up. But some parents don't know that, and they continue to try to have control of their children. 
There's a reason why in the wedding, the father is asked, who gives this woman to marry this man? And he says, basically, you know, her mother and I do. In other words, our job is done. Now you've got this one, guy, all right? Okay. So you are giving up the right you know, to be an authority. Now, it doesn't mean the relationship stops. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's not love and respect, but the relationship has changed. And it's good for children to remember as well. This is instructive for the 37-year-old man who still wears his Spider-Man pajamas and lives in his mother's basement, all right? It's time, big boy, to move out, all right? Remember that. Now, Paul uses a heavy-duty word for obey here. It, it, it's actually a stronger word than submit that's in verse 18. It means far more than just aligning behavior with a moral code. Now, practically, if we can extrapolate the, the definition of the word here and just in, in a practical sense, what this means is, when it says for children to obey the parents, is that children are to willingly yield to the parents, listen, without challenge, without excuse, without delay. Without challenge, without excuse, without delay. (laughs) Oh, man. That's going to be a fun ride home for that dad. All right. And I know who that is, and I know what he means by that. Thank you, my friend. Listen, Paul adds some weight to this when he says, take that, remember, without challenge, without excuse, without delay. And then he has to add this. I mean, there's got to be some kind of loophole. In everything. In everything. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean uh, when a parent instructs a child to do something illegal or immoral or against the will of God, all right? We know that those are exceptions. But that aside, why is the idea of children obeying their parents so important? Why is that such a big deal? Well, know this. We know that this is a command that's given in one of the Ten Commandments, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. We also know, and according to Old Testament law, that when a, when a child was obstinate towards his or her parents, what did that mean? It meant death. Wow. Many of you parents are saying, bring back the Old Testament law, please. All right, no. We are no longer under the law, right? We are no longer under the law. Such civil laws were given specifically to the theocracy of Israel. That doesn't mean the law has no good for us, all right? We can still benefit from the law. Why? It gives us insight into God's moral character, all right? And apparently, it wasn't just God who sees the need for obedience. In some published letters between Karl Barth, who was a German theologian, and his friend Karl Zuckmeier, who was a celebrated uh, writer, Zuckmeier wrote this. He said, if one has lived in America and seen in countless cases What injustice is done to children, one has enough of it. One sees too much that someone hidden behind misunderstood psychoanalytical maxims allow them to become little tyrants 
and ill-humored despots. Despots whom adults crawl in front of for pure convenience only to get peace. And one sees how this takes effect in the unfortunate adolescence when they, brought up without authority, are confronted with the difficulties of life. Boom shakalaka, all right? (laughs) And I think we would have to say there's some truth to that, is there not? Now, while the need for discipline may seem apparent to all of us, I think we have to admit that all of us have a certain bias when it comes to this topic. And what I mean by that is we have a bias because of the way that we are raised. I mean, most of us think, all right, my parents, you know, did this or did that, and we don't have experience outside of that, so we think that is the way that you ought to parent. I mean, it's difficult to look outside of our experience or even to look outside of our education and deem some other approach as valid. Can we not all agree with this? That our, our need, our desire, our, the, the task before us is to consider the biblical record first and foremost, right? That is our obligation. Now, when we allow the culture to dictate how we operate in a social sphere, when God is eliminated from that equation, we are foolish to expect some kind of continued good fruit. That's just not going to happen. And listen, let's just be honest. There is probably no area that we are more sensitive about than parenting. I mean, all you got to do is just give some little hint to somebody, try to throw out there something, you know, unsolicited comment about somebody's parenting, and you see the defenses go up and them as fighting words, right? And all of us have been there. We feel particularly, now the reason I know this is because we all live there, right? Including myself. Parents feel particularly vulnerable about this topic because our significance seems so wrapped up in the behavior and achievements of our children. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm just saying that's usually the way it is, right? Am I talking truth? I remember, and I can't remember which son it was, playing, uh, they were playing baseball for Parkview. And it's like an out-of-body experience as I was watching my kid play and I saw myself yelling out onto the field and I'm like, you're the jerk you always talk about. So quit it. I had, to, I had to step away from the field, take a little walk, and just say, calm down, short. All right? You ever have those conversations with yourself? All right? So all I'm asking is that we just kind of open up our hearts to the Lord, let the defenses down, be real and honest. And bottom line, you're never going to please everybody. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. This is between you and God and the scripture. And uh, you sit down as parents and you discuss these things. But may God open up our eyes to just align with what he wants to do, okay? Can we do that? Agree with that? All right? Now, here's why obedience to parents is so important. And again, I'm talking about living in the home about 18 and under or so, all right? (laughs) A, A child's relationship, listen, A child's relationship to his or her parents is a reflection of their relationship with God. A child's relationship with their parents is a reflection of their relationship with God. 
Parenting is the primary learning community for that child to learn about God and for that child to learn about relationships. In fact, I would say that the home is the primary theological community for that child to learn about God. Not me, not the church. The home is the primary theological community for that child. That's a heavy responsibility. But our job is to give our children an accurate picture of God. And a human being who does not have awe and worship of God, listen, that human being is at a supreme disadvantage. That's the truth of it. So obeying parents is often presented in the scriptures with this connection with God, but particularly with God's authority. Now we know from the passage in Colossians that obedience to parents pleases the Lord. Why is God so thrilled about the obedience of our children? Because the relationship that children have with parents is the first impression that our children get of authority. If a child continually defies his or her parent, how likely is it that that child will obey other authorities? It's very unlikely. How in the world will that child hold a job when they are, in effect, giving their boss a middle finger when the boss tells them to do something they don't want to do? And you see this going on all the time. 30, 40-year-old men and women who are still adolescents when it comes to authority. The, children, the child who does not learn to obey his parents speedily and joyfully, in other words, they obey speedily and joyfully, those who don't do that are going to increase their troubles exponentially. Hebrews 12, 7 and 8 also points out the clear relationship of children obeying earthly fathers and that relationship to God. Listen to this. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, God is giving us as a gift the, the, the social structure within a family of child to a parent so that a parent can discipline a child as a model for their obedience to God. Now, if we do not learn discipline and obedience, listen, we cannot have a meaningful relationship with God. I'm going to say it again. If you cannot have obedience and discipline, you do not have a meaningful relationship with God. I see people all the time that think, man, you know, me and God are close because I've got these extravagant displays. I saw God do this, God do that, God healed, God did that. Nothing wrong with that. I'd love to see God do all that. That is awesome. And maybe God used you to do some of that. But listen, if you do not obey God, you don't have a meaningful relationship. Okay? All, of it, all the other Stuff is window dressing as far as I'm concerned. That's why when you look at the real fruit of God 
actively involved in a church, it is how people live their lives. It is how people conduct themselves in relationships. It is not about the show on the stage. It's not about seeing somebody up here flopping around saying, look at what God did. That is, you know, if God wants to do that, that's great. But the primary way that you can see God working is in the lives of the people in the church who are following Christ in obedience. That is how we know God is working. So God is giving us the family as a way for us to learn this obedience immediately. Learn the obedience immediately and joyfully. That's the target. That is the target. And we see all the time that not being done. Listen, if I am yelling to my child, get out of the road, and they have not learned obedience, they are going to get run over. I want them to learn to respond to the voice of their mother and their father immediately. Because when God tells them to do something, they need to respond immediately. Another reason discipline is important is because, you know what? It blesses our children. Their obedience will bless them. They will experience great benefit from this. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. When it goes well for a child, that means they learn to respect and obey authority. They will be more prone than to be respected and to respect others. They will be more prone to learn how to trust and, and have friendships, freedom, responsibility, more opportunity. Listen, which person is it that is likely to be promoted? The person who has problems with authority, who has never learned to submit, or the person who listens to their boss and does what they're said, what is said to them without trying to you know, I have 15 reasons why they don't want to do it. If anything you give your kids, it is that. It's the ability to respond in the workplace, to work hard. Ask any business owner, and the hardest thing they have is keeping people who show initiative and just do what they're told. It will go well with them. They will have more opportunity. He also says a long life, and I think what that means is that there are benefits to this obedience that extend beyond the immediate. In other words, whether those benefits are on earth or even in heaven, they extend far beyond in just the immediate environment. It's a wonderful promise. It's interesting to note that many psychologists are finding more evidence that discipline indeed is an ingredient for domestic fullness. Dr. Stanley Coopersmith, associate professor of psychology at the University of California, surveyed over 1,700 boys and their families, beginning in the pre-adolescent period and following them through to young manhood. And after determining the boys with the best self-esteem, he then compared their homes and childhood influences with those boys who had a lower self-esteem. And he found these three characteristics. Number one, the high-esteemed children were clear, clearly more loved 
and appreciated at home than were the low esteem boys. The parental love was deep and genuine and not just, you know, empty words. Number two, that the homes of the high esteem group were also characterized by democracy and openness. Isn't that interesting? It might surprise you. But once the boundaries for behavior were established and understood, there was a freedom for individual expressiveness, for individual personalities to grow and to develop. Those boys could express themselves without fear of ridicule. And lastly, the high esteem group came from homes where parents had been significantly stricter in their approach to discipline. Now, not harsh, just stricter compared to the low esteem group. By contrast, the parents of the low esteem group had created insecurity and dependence by their permissiveness. The most successful and independent young men during that later period of the study were found to have come from homes that valued accountability and responsibility. And as you could predict, the family ties even remain the strongest within these homes. Not the wishy-washy homes, but in the homes where discipline and self-control had been a way of life. Now, it probably comes as no surprise to anybody who's been a parent that this battle with authority with our children is one at an early age, right? If we as parents refuse to address the rebellion in our children, we are playing Russian roulette with their lives. Listen to this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Don't sit there and tell me it's love when you refuse to discipline. The Bible says that's not love. That's just permissiveness. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. You know, I've talked to many parents who've had issues with controlling their children, and when they finally got past all of these cultural pressures and applied loving discipline, without fail, they have seen a dramatic difference in their children. But part of the problem, listen, is the modern thinking that goes into this that does not understand the root of the problem in every child. And as a result, there are all, and by the way, what is the root of the problem? It's sin that's in every kid that has ever been born. Yes, including yours and mine, all right? That's the root in the that's in the heart of every child. The first word, our kid, you don't even have to teach them this, is no, no. It's just natural, all right? By the way, I love you kids, all right? But we all struggle with this, right? Right? And as a result, when you don't address the root of the problem, there are usually all kinds of diversionary tactics Psychological techniques are used that never get to the root. Proverbs 22.15 says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I know it's really hard to see your, your little princess and your sweet little boy as being foolish and self-interested. But every child is born a fool. In this sense. And a fool sees things upside down 
inside out. And a parent who indulges a child's wants and foolishness, they're going to continue to raise a self-centered human being. And such foolishness that then is expressed in the adult. It just brings unnecessary pain in the life. I mean, I'd love to have us all just say right now, out loud, you know, my child is a fool. Um, We could say that together, but that's probably a shock to your system, all right? But one thing is for sure, isn't it? If you don't see it, others do. (laughs) If you refuse to acknowledge the truth of it, Others do. That doesn't mean there aren't good traits about the kids. That doesn't mean that every single item. I'm just talking about what's in the heart. The real problem is a sin problem. All right? I I saw that a member of ours who's a policeman uh, talk about the gentle and polite response from a teenager who got a ticket And he reported that this young man, after getting the ticket, said, I understand, sir. I realize my actions have consequences, and I will take responsibility for them. And then he reached out his hand to shake the hand of the officer. And you're thinking, wow, that's amazing. Well, why is that amazing? Because it's so unusual. (laughs) Right? But shouldn't we teach our children to operate that way with authority? I mean, if you accept the biblical record of sin and foolishness in the heart of children, here's the beautiful thing. I think every act of discipline then, if you accept the biblical record, every act of discipline is a picture of the gospel. It really is. Think of it. That in the gospel, the heart of the issue is addressed as we confront and we confess our sin. And that's what we want our children to be able to do. And we usually get to that point, by the way, don't we, by experiencing some kind of negative consequence. And God then conveys to us his love and his grace and forgiveness through the finished work of Christ. A wonderful pattern, I think, for parents as well. So when a parent disciplines their child, they get to the heart of the issue, the sin, the rebellion, to get that child to acknowledge it. Now listen, rules are needed, but rules do not get to the heart of a child. We want them to acknowledge their sin, which means taking responsibility for their behavior. When we parent only the behavior without getting to the heart, then we typically will resort to those patterns that only address human behavior. And usually we reduce that down to threatening the child, manipulating, using guilt, and we're all good at it, right? We've all had training with that. We do not create lasting change by shifting behavioral patterns or by averting the attention of the child by some timeout or sitting in the corner. The beginning of heart change is when the child accurately sees his or her rebellion. What I'd like to do today is in by suggesting some steps. These are not my own. These are from author Paul Tripp, and by the way, uh, it's his material that we use in our parenting class that Jerry and Gail Pollack are going to teach starting in February. If you are a parent, may I highly encourage you to take this small group. Jerry and Gail, in fact, stand up. People may not even know who you guys are. Stand up. These are the guys. They have raised wonderful children who love God. You will enjoy that group. Thank you so much. 
Um, and uh, this material that I'm about to give you is from Paul Tripp. Here, here are the steps that just suggested steps. These don't have chapter and verse by them, so if you don't follow every one of these, I'm not claiming that this is, you know, ordained by God. These are just practical suggestions you might want to consider, okay? First, determine whether, is, whether there is direct rebellion to authority. Now, sometimes we're harsh when we discipline a child, and there's not been rebellion. They just did some stupid childish thing, you know, spilled something or whatever. And you don't discipline a child for that, all right? You help them, but you don't, you don't discipline them for that, all right? Um, secondly, proceed making sure your own heart is not consumed with anger. <laughs> wow. I mean, you get to stop right there, and that just stops us all in our tracks, all right? I... I, 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 I don't even know how many times that I proceeded in anger. But what we have to do is stop and gather ourselves, right? Check our own hearts and make sure that we can proceed under control. It may take a couple minutes, all right? Child can wait. They'll sweat it out, all right? But they can wait. But you gather your thoughts. You get yourself under control, Second, you take the child, if possible, to a private place, right? All right? You're not out to humiliate the child in front of everybody. Um, I, I remember I had a, a, an uncle who would take a belt to his son. We'd be over, they'd be over playing cards at my parents' house. We'd have relatives all over. He'd sit there and spank his son in front of everybody. And it was just humiliated for uh, humiliating to him, and that's just completely unnecessary. Kids have feelings, too, in a self-image. We don't do that to try to humiliate them, so try to go to a private place, all right? Now, here's, here's I think, the heart of it. You interview the child. You, you engage in a conversation where you are, you, uh, you are talking about the nature of the rebellion and what is going on in their heart. You engage the child. This is not just, like, you know, going through some machine where they get disciplined and off you go, you get punished and that's it. No, this is an instruction. This is training. This is helping them to understand what is going on in their heart and what can fix the heart. Well, it starts with confession. It starts with acknowledgement of the sin. And then, man, the grace of God can, can begin to wash over that and so can your love. And that's when you get an acknowledgement from the child that they understand and then you hug and you pray with that child, all right? You take time to reaffirm that child. Acknowledge your love for that child. And you do not let that child leave until he or she is calm, they understand, they know that you love him or her. I guarantee you, you follow those steps, that's gonna engage the heart of your children. And that's far better than just managing behavior. Amen? Now listen, I know I've had to say this before, and I'm going to say it again. If I'm you sitting in the seat and I'm thinking about, you know, some of my parenting, I'm thinking, man, oh man, well, I didn't do that all the time, you know. I'm not here to bring shame. I'm not here to bring guilt. That doesn't do us any good. We are here to improve our homes. We are here to give our kids our best. So if we can improve in our home and these things and, you know, ramp down the yelling and, 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 and ramp down the anger and, and follow these steps, make a change. You know what I have found? And my kids can attest to this. I was apologizing to my kids a lot 
because I screwed up a lot, all right? But they are the most forgiving bunch if you'll just be vulnerable and open, all right? They really are. And so I just want to encourage you to don't, don't be passive about this. Be willing to be open before God and address these issues and watch what God does to your children because there is no greater joy, John wrote, than to see my children walking in the truth. Not perfect, mind you, but walking in the truth. I don't care if my four kids worked at McDonald's their whole life flipping burgers, and I truly mean this, or if they were garbage collectors. I, I don't care about all that. Not much. <laughs> what I do care about, just trying to be honest, right? What I do care about more than anything is their heart attitude, that their relationship with God is healthy and that our relationship and our family is healthy. If you have that, man, I could be happy in a trailer with no skirting. Um, I'm, I will be, because that's what feeds the heart. It's not about all the other stuff, all right? Can you say amen? All right, let's pray.